Hey guys, welcome to this Everyman Livestream Study. If you're new and join us for the first time, we are so glad you are here. You know, sometimes it's hard to think about a relationship with God as being, shall we say, royal. But that is exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus is a king. He rules over a kingdom. We are chosen by him to belong to his family. Now, we serve at his pleasure in his kingdom. And that experience of coming into his kingdom is a good backdrop for today's study in God's word. Now, because only in a true kingdom can a person be crowned, and God says that you and I have been crowned by him. Now, more importantly, God wants us to wear the crown he has given us to reflect our royal identity in this world. Now, as we dive into today's lesson, you're going to see that God choosing you and calling you into his royal family changes everything about who we are and how we live. But before we begin, take a second right now and share this live stream with your friends. Now, let's join men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck, live from Laguna Hills, California at Crossline Church for part four of our series, Driving Forces. If you have a Bible, you'll want to open it to Psalm 103. We're in, we're in part four of a series that we're calling Driving Forces. Uh, quick check, how many of you guys know what Netflix is? Okay, that's a lot of people. Amazing market share, right? Uh, so you guys probably have some of your favorite shows that you watch on Netflix. It's kind of part of the modern vernacular, right? Stranger Things, all that stuff. Um, my wife and I got into this show, and I can't believe that I really got into it, but I did. It's called The Crown. Okay, right? It's about uh, the, the British royal family and uh, Queen Elizabeth and all that stuff. And I just got uh, caught up in uh, Queen Elizabeth's journey. You know, she's the sixth longest reigning monarch in world history. And she just kind of was raised up in this family. And then her pop dies and all of a sudden, you're it. And when she goes through that whole transition from being daughter of... Uh, of the prince to the queen of England, it, the transformation is, is just incredible as you watch kind of her story and journey. But her identity totally changes. Her responsibility totally changes. It's this kind of grind at first of like, no, this is your role now. This is what you do. You wear uh, the crown. Life, life was never going to be the same again. Decisions changed. How she related to everyone changed. And you know, the reason I bring that up is because the Bible uh, adopts this, this imagery that when a, uh, a person believes in God, that they are chosen by God, that they are actually crowned by God. Uh, that's what we're going to read in Psalm 103 with love and compassion. So we're going we're gonna to read our key verse for this series again, and then we're going to pick up on this theme of how God crowns us with love and compassion. So right at the top of your notes, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Ready? Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so what we've been saying in this series is that the things that God does for us, the powerful experiences that we have with God, those powerful experiences produce powerful energy, all right? Say those two phrases with me. Powerful experiences, powerful, experiences. powerful energy. 
Right, so the Bible says that God forgives you. That's a powerful experience we have with God, creates powerful energy, becomes a driving force. God heals us, all right? God heals us emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. That's a powerful experience that we have through Jesus Christ, and that powerful experiences create powerful energy. God redeems our life from the pit. That was last time. Our redemption through Christ creates powerful energy. And then now today, the powerful experience is that God crowns us with love and compassion. So let's unpack that whole uh, idea of being crowned. And then we're gonna look at how our crowning with love and compassion is a driving force in our life. All right, on your notes, it talks about how being crowned is when you place upon someone, and in this case, love and compassion. You place it upon someone. I mean, that, that, you know, in the series, there's this whole big ceremony and out it comes, you know, that big puffy metal thing with jewels on it, you know, it comes out, it is placed uh, upon someone. And so I want you to, to get that image of when God chooses you, he places upon you a crown of love and compassion. And when you, you have a crown, you wear the crown. Right Now, as men, we can wear other crowns, not the same crown that God puts on us, but we can wear the rip-off crowns of success and power and pleasure and um, title and position, and we can wear these crowns, or we can wear our crown, our crown of love and compassion and, and wear it proudly. Secondly, when you, when you crown someone, you invest them with power, all right? Now, in a, in a literal monarchy, the crown goes on, and, and then you're, that person is invested with power. Now, we are invested with power. God crowns us. We wear the crown that he gives us of love and compassion. We're invested now with power to be loving and compassionate. That's right. Now, we're invested with power. Third, we're designated to represent, right? We're designated to represent a rule. So God's a king, he has his rule and realm over all things. He crowns us with love and compassion. All right, we wear it. We're invested with the power to be loving and compassionate, and we're designated to represent his love and compassion. See, that crowning comes from him. And so now we're ambassadors of that rule. Fourth, it's bestowed as a mark of honor. It's bestowed as a mark of honor. So we are bestowed with this crown of love and compassion, and it's to mark us, right? It's God saying, you know what? I chose you. That's an honor to be chosen by God, amen? It's an honor to represent God. It's an honor to be invested with that power to be loving and compassionate. It's an honor for him to place his crown of love and compassion upon us. And then lastly, when you are crowned, it permanently redefines you. And this is where we gotta really internalize what our identity in Christ is all about. Is that when God chooses you and God crowns you with his love and compassion, he places it upon you. He invests you with power to be loving and compassionate. He designates you to represent his love and compassion. He bestows it as a mark of honor on you that permanently changes the way you use your energy, you use your choices, and the way you use your time, the way you relate to other people in your life. Why? Because you've been crowned with God's love and compassion. Now, in the New Testament, 
there is a continuation sort of of this picture because, because Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And so when he talks to his guys, he says stuff like this right out of John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my, what? Command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Let's finish it together. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. So do you see this picture? There's who you were before, and you're in the world. Cosmos is the word, culture, a system of being and believing and behaving that is without Christ, all right? It's just a way to be without God. And then all of a sudden, God intervenes. He comes into your life, and then he chooses you out of this way of being and believing and behaving, and he plucks you, and he puts you right over here. Now you're in the kingdom. Now you're a son of the king. Now you're crowned with love and compassion. It's, a, it's been placed upon you. You've been appointed. And now God's like, all right, you're chosen, you're appointed. Now go represent, all right? Now go represent. Well, what are we supposed to represent? God's love and God's compassion. In fact, when Paul, the apostle Paul is, is, is helping people get in touch with who they are as a believer, he uses this, this royal, this royal theme. He says in Colossians chapter three, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's finish it together. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I mean, you got a compassion and love sandwich, and in between uh, the slices of compassion and love, you've got kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another. It's all rolled into this, man, I've, got, I've been chosen, and now I've got to wear it. We wear a different set of clothes. We wake up and we put on these clothes, we put on Christ, and when we put on Christ, we put on compassion and love and all the dynamics that go into that and all the expressions uh, of that, all right? So there was, there's who you were if you are outside of a relationship with Christ. Then we cross the line and we believe in his person and his work and we receive his person and his work for ourselves and in that transaction, we are crowned with the love and compassion of God and commissioned to put that on and go represent that in the world. So the choice is, am I gonna be the old me or am I gonna be the what? New me. Yeah, it's a new deal. That's why when the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, everybody say in Christ, in Christ. New creation, right? Second Corinthians 5.17. If any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. What's gonna be new about him, right? Well, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about how we become ambassadors. All of a sudden, we've gone from, all right, we're unchosen, we're not a part of it, now we're chosen on a new team, drafted, we believe, we're drafted, we're in now, now we represent a king, and now we're ambassadors for the king. 
Everybody say, I'm an ambassador for the king. Yeah, you, when you walk out this door, when you walk in, you, 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 you carry with you a mantle, a crown. You wear, you know, you wear the clothing of Christ. And now everywhere you walk, you're an ambassador of the king. And you're supposed to use your influence. And one of the ways you're supposed to be marked, according to Jesus, is by how you love and the compassion that you show. So, old me or new me, what's the game changer? All right, look at that little verse I put in there from Luke 7, verse 48. I want us to read this together. Ready? Whoever has been forgiven little. So if you realize and internalize how much love and compassion has been poured on you in Jesus, you're going to be loving and compassionate. But to the degree that you don't internalize that, you're not going to be very loving and compassionate. People who've been shown compassion in a, in a powerful way and loved in a powerful way, they give away compassion. You know, and that's why when Jesus was with his disciples for the last time at Passover, he just said, you know what? We're gonna do this and then you're gonna do it again. 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 And all believers are gonna do it again and again and again and again and again because it's something that you never wanna forget. That's why we celebrate communion. That's why we break bread. That's why we, we, we partake in the cup, the blood of Christ. It's because we're never supposed to forget what it costs for God to be loving and compassionate toward us so that we can then be ambassadors of that. All right, now, that's, that's, that's what has happened. That's what God does. That's our powerful experience. He's crowned us with love and compassion. Let's look at how that's a driving force for us. Number one, love and compassion drive me to sacrifice for others. This is a consequence of having this powerful experience with God's love and compassion, is that love and compassion then drive me to sacrifice for others. Look at Jesus, the king of love and compassion, Matthew 27. Look at what happened to him. Let's read this together, ready? They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. It's ironic that that crown of thorns was a crown of love, God's love and compassion. It demonstrated the depths of his love and compassion. And when you think about, you know, a metal, ruby, emerald, decorated human crown, that's the crown Jesus wore. That's Jesus' crown of love and compassion toward you. It's a crown of sacrifice. So our crown of love and compassion is gonna look like that. It's gonna look sacrificial. You see, when the world defines love, they define it erotically, they, they define it romantically, and they define it in like brotherly terms, all right? The Bible never defines love in those ways. And sometimes it does, like Song of Song. It does define it that way. But in the Bible, when it comes to Christ, it does not. It defines love sacrificially. You know you're being loved when someone is sacrificing for you, right? And that's the unequivocal demonstration of love and compassion. It's when someone's giving up versus taking up. Make sense? So first thing is love and compassion drive me to sacrifice for others. You know, my mother was a prisoner of war on the island of Guam. You might've heard me tell this story, but there was a Japanese officer that put his whole career and life at risk to protect my family. From, from massacre, 
There were massacres on the island. There were three separate places. If you go to Guam right now, there's three separate places where pillboxes were built by hundreds of Guamanians, and then they built the reinforcements because they knew the tide of war was changing, and then they gathered them up, they put them into a cave, rolled gasoline in there, and threw grenades in. And this Japanese officer, they call, my family calls him the angel. He, in, the, in the midst of war, he, he demonstrates love and compassion, and he takes... He steps into my family that's traveling this road of pain and war and imprisonment and he shows them where to hide in the jungle and he, he, he warns them. But, you know, that, that, that was a sacrifice. So that's the first driving force. Second, love and compassion drive me to declare praise publicly. Interesting. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let's finish it together. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God since you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whenever you see connective phrases, like, so that, that, in order that, right? Pay very close attention to what comes next when you read your Bible. Here it says, but you are chosen. You're royal. You're holy. You're God's special possession. That means you're marked. Why? That you may declare the praises of him. When God came into your life, when God's love and compassion streamed into your life and you realize, I am helpless and bankrupt before God without Christ. And then God says, I got you covered. I sent my son. Here's his person. Here's his work. And this represents my love and compassion toward you. All you got to do is say yes. And then you, like a smart person, said, I'm taking that deal. And I get the grace of God. It's amazing, right? Then all of a sudden we step into this holy enterprise. We become royal. We join God's family. And that transaction creates verbalization. I now declare the praises of the person who's shown me love and compassion. I can't stop talking about him. I can't stop. That's why you see in the New Testament, when Jesus has these encounters with people who get it, they cannot stop talking. And in fact, he has to warn them not to talk sometimes because there's some things he has to do before he gets to the sacrifice. And so he heals like, don't just go and worship at the temple, offer a sacrifice, but don't tell anybody. Because he knows that there's this force of that encounter inside of them and they're like, man, this is awesome. Is that how you feel? about when God demonstrates his love and compassion toward you, you declare the praise of him. You know, that's why our worship should be robust. That's why when we talk about Jesus, we should get this big, silly grin that is unexplainable on our faces. You know, the weird thing about Christians is that they're forgiven, they're healed, their life is redeemed from the pit, they're crowned with love and compassion, but they don't tell their face. It's like, really? This really happened? Yeah, man. This is what Jesus did in my life. He loves me. He showed me compassion. 
And you see, that's where we declare the public praise. We do that in so many other contexts. Oh man, you gotta meet this guy. He does this for me. You gotta meet this person. They did this for me. You gotta meet this person. Oh, they're amazing in my life. Yeah, well, no one's more amazing than Jesus in your life. So we should naturally tell people about how amazing Jesus is. That's what we're, that's what we're commissioned to do. So love and, his love and compassion, his crowning of me through Christ, drives me to declare praise publicly in whatever expression, in whatever expression. When you go to church and your energy and worship, where does it come from? It comes from this personal encounter that we've had with God's love and compassion. That's why we're energetic. Third, love and compassion drive me to invest in others spiritually. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a person who has had an experience. He says this, for what is our hope, this is the Apostle Paul, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown, listen, the crown, in which we will glory? Let's finish it together. In the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Wow, person who's, who's been crowned, all of a sudden, they've been chosen and appointed, and then all of a sudden, they are motivated to impact other people. And they realize that, man, I have the capacity and the authority to bless and crown other people. What am I gonna wear? Jesus is gonna wear us for his glory forever, the people he's crowned and that he's redeemed. And then there is this, this, this transaction that happens in us, and then we are motivated then to go and influence other people. Question. Who are you influencing? The Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? I've been crowned, and then you know what's gonna be my crown in heaven? Is people, my impact on people. That's, is it not you? That's what he says. Is it not you? Like, us together. I could say that to you. Is it not you that we were together, and you're gonna be my joy and my crown? Part of it. And then I hope that I'm gonna be your joy and crown because you give back to me. You see, that's how it works. So love and compassion on you drive you to invest in others spiritually and they become your crown because you are loving and compassionate toward them. And they're gonna honor God. Fourth, love and compassion drive me to recruit others. It drives me to recruit others. You say, where is that in the Bible? It's right here in Matthew chapter nine and the example and model is Jesus. Follow this kind of film, like imagine you're Jesus, you're in the midst of lots of people. And then we roll the film. When he saw the crowd, circle he saw, he had compassion on them. Circle had compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then, after seeing the crowds and feeling compassion and seeing their harassed condition and helpless condition. Then he said to his disciples, all right, now it's gonna be projected. What he sees and what he feels is now going to be projected on the men standing around them. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to do what? To send out workers into his harvest field. I love the model and the message of Jesus, that when he sees, he feels. A lot of us, for whatever reason, some of, it's, some of it's biology, 
Some of it's our own family formation. Some of it's loss or trauma. We have lost our ability to feel where we just kind of are bombarded by so many things and bombarded by so many needs and bombarded by life and where we, we pass by things and we just don't let it go from here to here. I know that we can't help everybody that we see. Jesus couldn't help everybody physically that he saw or everybody that tried to get to him. He couldn't do that physically. I get it. But you can still have a heart. You can still lament. You can still pray. You know, I love how Jesus, if you're a believer, lives inside of you. The mission of the Holy Spirit inside of you is to make you like Jesus. And when Jesus saw things that demanded compassion, he felt it. And I don't know about you, but I, I have to work at that because I'm just so bombarded by some different things. And, and this is the first step, but when you do feel it, the word for compassion is splegnizomai. It means just like, boom, like boom, it's like a sucker punch. It means from the bowels, like from the deepest part of him. So he sees what's going on, this condition of people, and man, he gets sucker punched in that moment, and he knows in his physical body, he can't touch everything, and he mobilizes people around him. You know what, guys? That's what's happening right now. There's a whole waiting, watching, dying, dark, hopeless uh, world out there that thinks politics is the answer, that thinks sex is the answer, that thinks how they feel is the answer. They're striving for meaning. They're harassed and helpless. They're getting harassed by the world. They're getting harassed by the flesh. They're getting harassed by the devil. They're getting beat up. It's miserable. And we have the answer. And when you see people who are in that condition, something inside of you needs to have compassion on them. Now, I'm a, I'm a dad. The first thing I wanted for my kids, when I became a father, I started immediately rethinking, okay, what do I want most for them? Do I want to provide for them? Of course I do. Do I want them to have a great future? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do I want them to meet somebody who's great and get married and have kids? Yes, I do, but that's not the first thing. The first thing I want is I want them to know Jesus. That's the first thing. Loving Father, he's planted us. We're ambassadors. We're crowned with love and compassion. You think that there's a few people out there who need to know Jesus? There are. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people right around us, right? And I'm, I'm just saying to you right now, go get them. Wherever you go, wherever your feet take you, whoever you run into, there's two types of people. There's people who know Christ and there's people who don't know Christ. When you're with people who don't know Christ, our job is to evangelize, to influence them, to share the love of God with them in word and deed. When you're with Christians, you edify them, you encourage them. Evangelize or encourage. So we're whoever you're with. Like right now, I'm equipping and I'm encouraging you to be who you are, a believer in Jesus. So I'm recruiting you to get into this thing like Jesus. All right, fifth, love and compassion drive me to risk for others. That's what I love about Jesus. He took risks that other guys didn't take. Let me set up the context for this next passage of scripture. If you had leprosy in the first centuries, you had to shout out to people, stay away, I'm unclean. Don't touch me. So if you had leprosy, you hang out with other people with leprosy, but you were never touched. 
You were lonely. You were undignified. You were unclean. All right, let's roll the film. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Let's finish it together. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. You gotta realize, that was a big no-no. He broke the rules. Why? Because compassion demanded it. Culture said don't, compassion said yes. All right? Men said don't, Christ said yes. And when the, word, the Bible says Jesus was indignant, you know, some people think, well, it's because the man challenged Jesus' willingness to touch him. I don't know. Knowing the compassion and love of Jesus, I think Jesus was indignant because of the broken male culture around him that created this whole thing that would make someone feel so dang lonely. God hates loneliness. Can we say that together? God hates loneliness. He hates it. That's why he sent his son, because he never wanted you to be separated from his family, ever. And so when Jesus sees this, he's indignant. He reaches out and says, imagine, hasn't been touched his whole life. I don't know how old this person is, but definitely an adult. And just, you know, I'm willing. Are you willing? See, Jesus took risks for others. The freedom to touch the untouchable says this. I have an identity that makes me free of the opinions of men and culture and politics of my time. I operate under a higher authority. I live for an audience of one. Therefore, I am free to risk entering into spaces maybe some other people have been trained not to enter in. Why? Because I have been crowned with love and compassion. I represent the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. You know, when I, when I went to Haiti this last trip, been many, many, many times, went to Haiti, and we went to the village where they, they rescue people who've been left to die. Pe children who've been left to die because of physical deformity, people who have been left on the street, some wrapped in barbed wire, some consigned to the landfills in Haiti, some, you know, and we met this little Korean wonderful Christian nun. I call her the little giant. She's like that tall. And she said, this is your job today. We're gonna, you're gonna go to the boys' wing and you're gonna give baths. All right, let's go. And I walk into this room that these two boys who were abandoned by their mother left to die in the streets. They have a neuromuscular disease. They can't move. They're both laying in their bed. They both have like these these sterile things underneath them, they both have soiled themselves. And man, I just got taken over by the love and compassion of Jesus. It didn't come from me. But you know, when I was lifting the first boy up out of his bed and bringing him to the gurney, all of a sudden the love of Jesus just, and I just started talking to him like he was my son. Now, his facial expression when I picked him up was like this. When I started talking to him, I said, hey bud, we're going to have a pool party right now. Let's, let's go take a bath. Come on. And we put him on the journey, and we had a bucket of water and some soap. And, and all of a sudden, he just started saying, hey. And I started singing him the soapy song, which is the same song that I sung my kids when I gave him a bath. And all of a sudden, this, this whole, I started brushing his teeth, and this 
huge. And he started going, ah, ah. he was so happy. That's the love and compassion of Jesus. But you know what Jesus said to me? He goes, that was you. That was you. You were helpless. Your condition was helpless. And I intervened and I, and I cleaned you up. You couldn't do a thing for yourself spiritually. You were gonna be separated forever. And man, it just hit me. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. You're gonna, you're gonna take risks that, you, that normal guys don't take because God took a risk for you. So we risk for others. God's crowning of us with love and compassion and our experience of that moves us to do things that we would never see ourselves doing. We wouldn't plan it out. I would never plan out, I'm gonna go to a place where people have been abandoned and give baths to two 14-year-old boys who have a neuromuscular disease. But man, we had a party on that wing. I mean, we were just, and there were some other men, spirit-empowered men doing the same thing with some other people, and it was just powerful. Love and compassion drives me to risk for others. Lastly, love and compassion drive me to dignify others. And here we, we're going to read about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you got to understand why this is, this is big. You know, in culture, it's like, oh, he was a Good Samaritan. What we do is we say, oh, well, that person set themselves aside to help another person. Okay, it was more than that. In the first century, Samaritans were muggle bloods. They were a combination of Jew and Assyrian. All right, so they weren't pure. All right, so there was a, a, an ethnocentrism and a racism that went with Samaritans because they weren't the pure kind right? And so into this enmity and division and race comes Jesus. And who does he tell a parable about to the pure Jewish people? He starts talking about the good Samaritan. And we pick up the story here in Luke 10. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. I'm going to stop there. The man had been beaten up and robbed and cast to the side of the road. So you got a Samaritan and you got a situation, all right? Now let's go on. And when he saw him, circle that, he saw him, he took pity, ah, there's some compassion. He took pity on him and then he went to him, there's some feet, compassion is always in action, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now what does dignity look like? Dignity looks like replacing your own position with someone else. He was on his donkey. Who's on the donkey now? All right? It's the man who was beaten up. So positionally, I, I replace another person. You replace your agenda. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the Jericho Road. But now his agenda has changed and has become a person. Was this, we don't know what it was, but now it's this. Right? So his agenda is replaced. Inability is replaced. Man's inability to help himself is now replaced with his ability to help. Wow. All right? And then his dignity is replaced. The indignity of being left to die on the side of the road is now replaced with someone entering that and giving his dignity back, right? Putting him on his donkey, taking him to an end. His financial capacity was replaced. His ability to tend to his wounds was replaced. So when we dignify others, we take from 
our own dignity and we divest ourselves of it and we give it to somebody else with our presence, with our resources, with our time, with our care, with our love, with our money, whatever it takes because they're an image bearer. Everybody say image bearer, image bearer. Yeah, every person that you're gonna see, young, old, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter what color their skin is, they're an image bearer. They are made in the image of God. When people are made in the image of God, they demand dignity. That's what it's all about. It's not some altruistic, feel-good thing. Whoever you see, whoever you see, they're made by God and they're made for God. That gives a person dignity. Now, I have my moments and you have your moments. You'll have your intersections of encounters with people that you run into in your life. If you're a member of this church, you're gonna be given opportunities, all right? Let me just say something. We are accountable for our moments, all right? Look at Matthew 25 here, Jesus talking about and reflecting upon when men on earth had their moments of accountability to show love and compassion. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now everybody look up here. Men may dismiss compassion in a moment. Happens every day, right? God does not. God does not. And I'm not saying that everything that you see, every cardboard sign that you see, but I'm saying within your realm, in your zone of contacts and people and life as you walk the road of life, who are you? Are you the person who's crowned with love and compassion, chosen, bestowed upon, designated to represent, permanently redefined, that your life would communicate something different, all right? We're accountable, I'm accountable. And the big idea is this, as you watch Jesus, all right, he sees, he feels, he moves. He sees, he feels, he moves. He lets himself feel what he sees. He's emotionally congruent. He just doesn't go, oh, no, there's too much going on in the world. And, you know. So the idea here, when it comes to your crowning by God with love and compassion, is this. Write this down. Be moved and then move. You know, here in our church, and if you're watching online in your church, I'm sure that there are many places where you can put, you can put your compassion to work and in action, okay? Go do that. In fact, if you are a part of a men's group, find a way to impact your community and go put your compassion in action. Compassion is unequivocal. Compassion, listen to this, gladdens the hearts of those who travel the road of pain. Amen? And just put yourself in their shoes, right? You see, this is what's gonna change the world. It's not politics. It's not money. It's not big celebrity initiatives. It's not activism. Activism is a reaction. Reactions aren't solution. No, I believe that movements of spirit-empowered men in the local church who've been crowned with love and compassion, giving it away in their local context, that is gonna change the world. That's gonna change big cities. That's gonna change...
things. And I believe that that's what God is doing. I believe that's what God is doing in you right now. That's why you're hearing this prophetic word and declaration over you. God says, I have forgiven your sin. I have healed all your diseases. I have redeemed your life from the pit. I've crowned you with love and compassion. And that experience with me is now meant to be reproduced today. So are you praying for that open door? I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that God gives you a chance to step into a space. Why? Because compassion is its own law. It's the law of God. It's your identity. There's urgency. There's dignity at stake, all right? And most importantly, there's accountability, right? We're we're accountable to when we have experienced something to reproduce the experience that we have in Jesus Christ, all right? So let's ask God to reproduce in us, amen? All right, so everybody online, everybody in the room, let's, let's, let's come together in prayer right now. God, we thank you so much that you have crowned us with your love and compassion, that you've placed love and compassion upon us, that you've invested us with power to be loving and compassionate, that you've designated us on earth to represent your rule through being loving and compassionate like you. You bestowed the crown of love and compassion upon us so that we can reproduce it. Well, Lord, we receive, first of all, your love and compassion through Jesus right now. The crown of thorns. Jesus, thank you for taking that crown of love and compassion on for me and bleeding for me, sacrificing for me because you love me and you have compassion for me. You saw that I was harassed and helpless. You saw that, that I was helpless. And then, Lord, you took your dignity and you gave it to me. And I receive it again, fresh way today, right now. I receive my identity from you. I receive my dignity from you and your actions. And now, Lord, I receive it and I rejoice in it. But now my desire, God, is to reproduce it in the world, my world. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit, this spirit of Christ, right now. And then, Lord, open doors for us. Open doors for every man who hears my voice. Open doors for the hundreds of millions of men who name your name, remind them of who they are, and because they know who they are, they know what to do in a moment. They need to act with strength and with love and compassion by your power and by your spirit. That's what we want. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask and we thank you in advance for giving us opportunities. Amen. Amen. That's strong with no heart. Then we have this other kind of guy that movements have created right now, and he's all heart with no strength. And society likes neither. But when you put them together, when you put Alpha and Omega together, who do you get? In New York City, in LA, all over the world, God is saying to his sons, I want you back. 